2: of our positional reviews. And we're going to talk about the Ravens wide receivers with our good friend, Michael Crawford. You'd have to be a pretty damn good friend to come on the show and talk wide receiver after this 2022 season. Michael, how you doing?
3: I'm doing good, Ken. Always good to talk with you. Um, yeah, this is, this is like asking, asking somebody to help you move. You know, yes. <laughs> you know how good a friend it is when they show up and they actually help you do it.
2: <laughs> yes, my toilet overflowed. Can you help that? It's really more like that <laughs> than moving. Moving involves oh, yeah. pizza and beer. Yeah. Uh anyway, I really appreciate you coming on, Michael. He's at Alukari, A-B-U-K-A-R-I, on Twitter. Other projects you're working on currently, Michael.
3: Um Still kind of doing the podcast that we were doing this season. Of course, like a lot of people, the frequency might be tailing off a little bit now that the season's over, but the Fire Zone Show, the Deep Cover Podcast, Fire Zone is with Denard Melton uh, at the Fire Zone Show on Twitter. Deep Cover Podcast is with uh, Chris Aguilera, Carrie Stevenson at Deep Cover Pod on Twitter. You can find them on there. You can find them on wherever you get your uh, audio podcasts, um, Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff. It's out there. So you can always go back and check those out.
2: All good football analysts really worth a listen, guys. If if you're not familiar with those pods, and I would say they're maybe lesser known relative to some of those, give them a try. They're really worthwhile, and uh and I think you'll enjoy it. And I, I know you hear Michael on them, and and he's great, and and uh, his his other, uh, I, I I don't want to say that you're they're they're not your guests, they're your 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 partners. His other partners yeah. are outstanding. Yeah, yeah,
3: they're the talent on those shows i you just try that. to be the setup guy <laughs> they really are the talent especially um you know the defensive show because denard having played the position having coached defense knows way more about it than i do so especially there but chris and Carry, man two of the sharpest minds you've had on both yes. on your shows at various and an points R. yeah and denard an too that's right mm-hmm. all three really really sharp guys so yeah i'm just i'm the setup guy uh on in in, in those uh in those contexts
2: Well, I appreciate having you on, Michael. We have to thank our sponsor, Liquid Death. Water will brutally murder your thirst. Please give that product a try. They've been very good to us. Uh, Let's go talk the Ravens wide receivers. First of all, interesting point is the Ravens played the fewest wide receiver snaps of any team in recent history. And it, it probably was one of the heaviest offenses in relative terms, perhaps ever, but certainly in decades. In the last six years, the Ravens were in the high 2.3s this year in terms of number of tight ends plus six offensive linemen plus fullbacks per play. Okay. That's really hard to do because that only leaves you got one running back that takes you up to 3.3, 3.4 in that range. And then the rest is wide receiver snaps. They didn't have a lot of total wide receiver snaps. The normal NFL alignment is 11 personnel, that's the most common. And that, of course, includes three wide receivers. And if the Ravens are averaging one and a half per play, or one point six per play, you know that's a, that's considerably less than that. Did not play very much eleven personnel at all. Um, when they did, it was it was an unusual thing. And uh, and so we're doing it within that context. What, what comments would you have about that in terms of the eleven personnel heaviness this year?
3: I think there's a couple different ways you can look at it. I mean, I think with Greg Roman, we know that he wants to play a certain kind of way, and with uh, a preferred personnel group, typically heavier, bigger bodies on the field, I think that's just sort of his preferred style. Um, You know, I I think if you look back through his history, he's, he's probably had some flexibility, and depending on, you know, who he had, maybe he played a little bit more 11 in certain places, maybe back in the 49ers days or the Bills days, but I think here, this current group of personnel, especially last year, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're looking at Bateman, you're looking at Duvernay. After those two guys, it's kind of a hodgepodge of guys. But then you've got coming into the season, of course, it played out differently than I think a lot of us expected. But coming into the season, you've got Nick Boyle, Patrick Ricard, Josh Oliver, um, you know, Mark Andrews, who essentially is a big wide receiver, but I'll throw him in the tight end group because I think mm-hmm. he did probably more blocking this year than he had in years past. But then you also had the two young guys. And Isaiah Likely and Charlie Kohler, you know, who eventually, you know, got on the field and saw some time later in the season. So I think it was sort of a confluence of things where he had the body types to play those heavier groups. He wants to play that way as kind of a stylistic preference. And then there's all of the strategic things that come along with that when you play in those heavier uh, personnel groups. Typically, you're going to face more base defense um, typically you're going to see more defined coverages. Now, this is something I learned from a couple of buddies of mine who coach, um, at either the high school level or like lower college level, like D3 in AIA. And cause I asked them about this cause I saw it in like an old playbook and I said, Hey, is there anything to that? And they said, Oh yeah, you definitely see fewer, um, varieties of coverage when you're mm-hmm. in heavier offensive personnel. He said, when you get into 10 or 11, and then defenses counter with nickel or dime, then you start to see all of the exotic stuff, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what they practice. It's what they work on the most. So I remember reading that. I was like, I wonder if that's just like a, a note that they put in this old playbook or if that still kind of holds true. And at least to these guys, and again, it's it's not the NFL. It's high school with no level college ball. But in their experience, they say, yeah, you you definitely see less variety defensively when you're in those heavier personnel groups.
2: Definitely makes sense. Because, you know, tight ends and, uh, and fullbacks uh, are limited in terms of what routes they can run. So you, you, you have certain, uh, you know, at least pieces you might take out of that puzzle into man looks while still being able to play zone effectively uh, with, the, with the remaining uh, players you've got. But anyway, it does make all kinds of sense that that would be the case. Uh, Bateman off to a great start this year. This was, you know, kind of one of the really sad things about the season was his injury. Had 28 targets for 285 yards early on. Uh, It doesn't seem like a lot, and it's not a lot of targets, but 10.2 yards per target was the fourth highest in Ravens history for anybody with 20 plus targets, not just receiver, any player at all. Uh, Well, any player who had receptions (laughs) and who had had, uh, 20 20 plus targets. So it's it really was an astounding season he was off to, and now. You know, we come into his third year this year and his injury is is somewhat clouded to me. I don't I I don't know exactly when Bateman is back, nor do I know when DuVernay is back. But I think that one of them, at least there was some talk about he might be back for the playoffs.
3: Yeah, I think DuVernay, um, the report I heard is that if they made it to the Super Bowl, he had a chance mm-hmm. to play. And so John Harbaugh was like, well, that's great news because we expect to be in the you know that obviously this was a while ago. Um But yeah, Bateman, man, I think what we saw was the big play ability, right? Mm -hmm. We saw some glimpses of it last year um, after he had that uh, sort of initial injury he dealt with at the beginning of the year. And then, you know, he uh, was able to play later in the season. But then, of course, Lamar went down, so you didn't get to see those two guys together very much. But you still saw some glimpses of that big play. Um, I'm going to throw out a bunch of labels as much as I hate to do this, but wide receiver one, you know, type of ability that we all hoped, uh, that he had, right. We, we saw flashes last year and we saw obviously more of it earlier this season. And like you said, it's just a real shame, you know, that the injury happened and we didn't get a chance to, to see that play out throughout the rest of the season. But, um, I'm still optimistic now, again, we don't know what it's going to look like when he comes back from this injury. Obviously he will have had a lot of time, but still you got to get back into practice. You got to get back on the field. You know, all the things that come along with that developing chemistry again, with your quarterback um, new offense, I'm sure we'll talk about later. So it's not one of these things where it's just like, Oh yeah, he'll be back and he'll pick, he'll pick up right where he left off when he was healthy. You know, it's it's still a bit of an unknown, but I'm optimistic about it.
2: That's I mean, it's, I think it's, it's fair to be optimistic. I'm just, you know, he's, he's played one season of football in two years. And now the next football that he plays, he'll be coming back from a list Frank, which is often thought to be more than a year recovery time. Wide receiver is certifiably a position where your feet have to be good. And I am nothing but concerned about the situation. There's nothing the Ravens could do about it, but, but hope and pray. But, uh, but honestly, there's, there's uh you know, this he's you know coming out of year three, a lot of that the draft value has kind of already gone by the wayside. Uh, you know, the next couple of years are very important to him personally in terms of how his career goes in the NFL, and they're very important to the Ravens in terms of getting value out of a first round draft pick. Now, I know in some sense that's sunk, but in the Ravens' case, I don't know who else they're going to get it from if they don't get it from Bateman.
3: Yeah, the way things stand right now, there isn't anyone else, so <laughs> he's the guy. Now, we'll see what happens over the course of this offseason, but right now. He's the guy. Um, you know, something that gave me a little bit of comfort. Now they're different circumstantially, obviously, but looking at Hollywood, he had a Liz Frank. Obviously, he came in to the league with his. So that's a little bit different mm-hmm. uh, in terms of you know the time frame. But he was able to, by all accounts, make. You know, uh, I, I was going to use the word full recovery. When I listen to him, he's always said he's never been himself, even since he you know even going back to Oklahoma. He, he just said, I've never gotten back to 100%. I'm probably in the 90s, but I'm not 100 anymore. So I don't want to use the word full, but I say I would say he made you know, a pretty good recovery and obviously had some productive years with the Ravens. Now, again, they happened at different points in time for these guys. Like I said, Hollywood was coming into the league. Bateman is now, was it year two for him going into year three? And I don't know um, the severity of one compared to the other. Obviously, I don't want to make it sound like these are apples to apples kinds of things, but – It gave me some comfort just thinking that, all right, they've had a receiver who had to deal with this. He recovered well enough to be productive, even in a Gray Roman passing game. Uh, (laughs) So I have some optimism that uh, Rashad Bateman can do the same thing.
2: Fair enough. Um, You know, it's uh, certainly what the Ravens will will, will need to have happen. I don't really have a lot to say about Bateman, the receiver, that he still needs to conquer some dropsies. Uh, you know, it was a problem for him coming out of college. It's not like we didn't know it was, was there. Uh, a lot of people tried to, you know, this, this is what people do when, when they, when you, you like the guy, you make excuses for him about the drops. Then when you have the guy and he drops the ball, you say, well, that doesn't have anything to do with his college career. Cause his college career, he dropped him like this. And his pro career, he dropped this. This is a one-off. It was more Lamar's fault. The ball was outside the frame. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, you know how it goes. We don't, we, we, we're going to stop making excuses for certain players, for not being able to do the things that we knew they couldn't already do in college. And in Bateman's case, it's hold on to the football. So,
3: yeah, that's been a bugaboo at times. And and, and in some cases, some pretty critical times, some high leverage kind of situations. So, you know, you hope it's something that he can improve. Um, You know, I, I didn't, I hesitate to use the word get corrected because it's a part of playing wide receiver. I mean, some guys do it less than others, but everybody drops the ball when you play wide receiver. I am one of those guys who believes that all drops are not created equal, Um, but he did have that bugaboo uh, back at Minnesota. You can see it on his film there, and it it has continued to kind of rear its head uh, in the games that he's played with the Ravens. So it's just one of those things where I'm just like, man, if we can just maybe not have it happen in some of those high leverage critical situations, (laughs) you know, obviously you don't want it to happen at all. But if we can maybe eliminate it in those situations, I'll feel a little bit better about it.
2: Yeah, five, five drops in six games this year. So five, that's five drops on, what, 28 targets. That is an unacceptable total, anyway, to, to, to say the least. That uh, probably is one of the highest drop percentages in the entire league, would be my guess, among guys with that, that, kind, of, that kind of targets or, uh, or more. Let's move on. Let's talk a little Devin Duvernay here. Uh, entering year four now. And uh, DuVernay's career also has been one where kind of limited to to the return role, more or less, uh, and and some gadgetry on offense. This year, a lot more chances as a, as a receiver, but also more gadget opportunities, too.
3: Yeah, I was really excited to start the year. We saw some things mm-hmm. just in terms of him playing wide receiver, contested catches, you know, those kinds of things that we really hadn't have him uh, hadn't hadn't seen him. Do a whole lot. uh One, maybe because he wasn't put in those kinds of positions and didn't necessarily have the opportunity. And then two, just um just going out there and just literally, you know, out muscling, out fighting a defensive back for the ball and making a play on the ball. So it, early in the season, I was like, okay, maybe this is that next step. We always did you know, another label or another <laughs> it's more jargon out there. We always talk about the next step that a player is going to take in his career, and we kind of saw that. Um, early in the season. And then it, it, it waned. It really kind of waned. Obviously, you know, once Lamar got hurt, a lot of things waned, but even when Lamar was healthy um, we saw some of that kind of go away from those, those, you know, the jets game, obviously there's a one catch that the the fade ball stands out. Um, And I think he maybe had a, you know, one or two other in those first two or three games. And then after that, like I said, it kind of just dried up, but the gadgetry is still there. We know he can do all the jet sweeps, the quick screens, the bubble screens, the reverses, even, you know, a toss on a run play in that first Bengals yep. game. I mean, we know he can do all of that stuff. Um, all pro returner. You know, he's already established that as part of his resume. Uh, they had a little bit of a down year at returner compared to last year, this year, uh, before even before the injury. I don't say down, is it bad? But just I think he had a really good year last year. And it was probably going to be hard to to sort of get to that same level and stay there um this year but you know a utility kind of guy right versatile all around can do a bunch of different things um looking forward to what he can do in maybe a different kind of offense because he's a guy that you know you, you just look at the skill set that he has and you're like man there, there should be a lot of different ways to utilize this guy in your offense we kind of saw it in that Bengals game that first one. I was like hey this is this is what we can do with this guy and then again even that sort of didn't materialize again the rest of the season
2: <laughs> yeah they 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 had to utilize him more as a wide receiver is my theory and because they didn't have bateman at, right. at uh, you know at, at times after that they really missed him in the run game at the end of the year after he got hurt because his jet motion ability actually struck fear into the opponents you know actually was something you know other teams were were correcting too in some cases uh, but then you know, Jackson and him both out just devastated the Ravens, even though they're still able to run the ball a little bit effectively by getting even heavier than they had been early in the season. I mean, the, the numbers of the, 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 the heavy numbers towards the end of the year were at the highest numbers that you'll ever see in the National Football League, two point seven, two point eight in in some games, and uh, just just absurdly high. and And what uh, uh, you know, they became in terms of a point of attack offense. Um, without Duvernay became even more extreme. I mean, Duvernay added a huge element of misdirection to the offense that I really love, uh, probably even more than his receiving skills, which are not bad. You know, he 8.3 yards per target, that was a career high this year. It's not great for a wide receiver, but it's also not terrible. The Ravens certainly had a whole bunch of guys who were worse.
3: Yeah, a guy who catches the ball really well. So, you know, we go from one end when we were talking about Bateman and the drops of Duvernay, a guy who very rarely drops a pass. Um, So very consistent that way. And, you know, just a guy who I always felt like could sort of carve out a little bit more of a role as a wide receiver. There was probably always going to be a a cap or a ceiling on it uh, in Greg Roman's offense. But I just felt like, you know, there was, there was an opportunity to maybe do a little bit more uh, with him in some different ways. And it just, you know, for, a variety of different reasons um, just never really got to where I thought it could get to, but Hey, still got the future ahead of us. We'll see, we'll see where it goes.
2: So there's two interesting numbers here. Uh, Bateman, uh, one drop in 47 targets on the, sorry, sorry, not even do one drop in, in 47 and five out of 28, about 18%. So seven times roughly as high eight times almost uh as high a uh a drop rate from bateman than duvernay but duvernay really did have a terrific year holding on to the ball he also made some ex- astounding catches on balls he had no right to, to he turned it into a target but it wasn't in particularly the, the the deflection off andrew's fingers to him yeah.
3: yeah yeah i remember um this is going back last year but you remember the catch in the vikings game in the back of the end zone i mean just just a ridiculous catch where he's kind of like tipping it to himself. And he also has to get both feet down on that back line of the end zone. It's a ridiculous, ridiculously good catch. I mean, he's a guy who, you know, he's built a little bit more like a running back yeah. than, <laughs> than kind of your prototypical wide receiver, you know, maybe not as as long-limbed or as lean as as some of these guys are. It kind of has a little bit of a Jamar Chase kind of build in some ways. Um, kind of more compact, muscular, very linear. Kind of kind of runner and and an athlete, but man, he can catch the ball. I mean, there's not much that gets past him if he if he can if it if it's within his wingspan, <laughs> he typically is going to find a way to come down with it.
2: Right. a little bit lesser wingspan. That's a fair criticism of him that he's a little a little bit small for a wide receiver. Um, I thought his his route running was a little better, but I thought something that made his route running a little better was the fact that they used him as a vertical asset earlier during the year. I think had some cornerbacks giving him a little space. I think they they, they, they didn't really need to, as soon as Huntley, you know, was in the game, they, they didn't need to do that, but they, but they gave him a little space. And, uh, and, and he, he still has, in my opinion, kind of limited top of the route wiggle. Uh, but I thought that, that, that the, uh, the opponents were, uh, were, were playing a little bit off a little bit safe on I'm thinking, yeah, this is the deep threat. I, and, and I've got him.
3: Yeah, I mean, you, you've got to respect his speed. And like you said, once the quarterback changed, maybe you don't have to respect it quite as much. Right. Um, but just in isolation, you know, the player himself, you, you do have to respect his speed. And I, I give some credit to uh, T. Martin and Keith Williams, too, for just, you know, kind of helping him with some of those transitions, getting in and out of breaks. Um, you know, we may talk about those guys at some point, but uh, people may look at that and say, okay, you brought these two guys in. It's going into year three now, right? I think they came in in 2021. Uh, you haven't really seen the dividends. I'm still thinking, be patient, right? Because when I look at those guys' track records, we know what T. Uh, we know what Keith Martin, uh, Keith Williams. I'm now just combining all the names. We know what Keith mm-hmm. Williams has done uh, in terms of the guys that he's worked with: Tyreek Kill, Devontae Adams, being one of the kind of premier wide receiver trainers. T. Martin, this guy knows how to identify wide receiver talent. Just go back and look at his all-time recruits when he was a college recruiter. Uh, from as recent as Drake London. Uh, Jalen Hyatt, a guy who's coming out in this year's draft, Juju Smith-Schuster, i Ross St. Brown, Devin Williams, who was briefly with the, <laughs> with the Ravens out of Oregon and kind of a weird situation there. But there's a number of guys uh, that he recruited who've gone on to to play in the NFL to varying degrees. Uh, so obviously a guy who can identify talent. So I, I think those guys are going to pay dividends. You just got to continue to kind of be a little patient with it.
2: Now you've brought up their name. And obviously the Ravens are in the middle of their search right now for an offensive coordinator. In fact, they're really just beginning their search, as far as I can tell. Uh, it's been suggested that Harbaugh may talk to an awful lot of people to make this decision. Uh a couple things about this. First of all, have Martin and Williams either one of them done enough to really be considered for the job at this point.
3: Um So the thing that the thing that would make that hard for me to answer is knowing what they're asked to do within um, the Ravens process. Right. I know their titles. Anybody can go on the website and look at their titles and read a little blurb about what they're doing. But what is their actual day to day role in terms of not just working with the wide receivers and the individual things they do there? But if you're a passing game specialist, and I think that's Keith Williams title, um, my understanding is that is. A role where you're really working on the passing game plan, right? The passing part of the game plan for that week, mm-hmm. um, and and sort of identifying plays, uh, identifying coverages, identifying mismatches, and then sort of recommending those to the offensive coordinator throughout the week. Hey, here's what I think we can do on this play. Here's what I think we can do in this situation. We should probably adjust to this, right? So if you're doing something like that, uh, granted he's only been doing it for two years um, with the Ravens, then. Um, like some of these candidates they reportedly are going to interview who also have passing game coordinator in their title, it would be similar. Maybe he hasn't done it for as long as some of those guys, although I don't know. Zach Robinson, um, do for the Rams. I don't think he's been that young,
2: young guy but t- but yeah. terribly
3: long. <laughs> so maybe you can make the case uh, that, that Keith Williams uh, has that. Obviously, T. Martin has been an offensive coordinator in college, uh, particularly the passing game part. I heard a crazy story about uh, – sort of how that was working at USC. Uh, I think it was the last year that Sam Darnold was there. So I think Clay Helton was the coach. I think his son was also some sort of offensive assistant. And T. Martin had the offensive coordinator title. And uh, this was Jordan Palmer, who works with a lot of QBs, trains a lot of QBs Mm -hmm. coming out of college for the draft. He worked with Sam Darnold. And he said that they actually had one guy who called the plays for first down, another guy for second down, and another guy for third down. <laughs> I mean, T. Martin was the third down passing game coordinator, which sounds like a ridiculous – That
2: that uh, does sound ridiculous. I, I'm not yeah. sure I believe that entirely. There, there it's, it's almost like there's got to be more to it than that. You have a lot less third downs than other downs. You do have more passes on third downs. So I guess if you're going to be a pass game coordinator, that's something. Okay, let me let me get back to the reason from the, origi- the original yeah. question, which is have they done enough to, to earn it yet? There's obviously going to be things about Greg Roman that that a lot of people are going to point to and say, "We didn't have a chance." Greg Roman is around. Well, I mean, the, and the and the talent wasn't that good is is really the other you know another component yet. Or maybe the talent was great at tight end, like you mentioned earlier, and it's a good offensive line. And the Ravens have a natural predilection to beating the crap out of their opponents anyway, so they'd rather do it that way. And it is more efficient in some ways in terms of of, of winning games. They didn't hold on to the. Fourth quarter lead all that well this season, but is generally speaking a good thing to be able to control the clock and and uh, and be able to make decisions that are negative expected point decisions, but positive win probability decisions, which is an important distinction. It's why expected points doesn't really work as a statistic for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, the, the 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 point I'm making here is that. Greg Roman, when he was run game coordinator and tight ends coach, those are the two positions I believe he held before he became offensive coordinator. He took his boss's job away. I mean, plain and simple. He he was too good at what he did to be ignored.
4: You may see your coworkers cracking open a can in your 9 a.m. stand-up meeting, but it's most likely not beer. It's a new mountain spring water called liquid death. You've heard me talk about this many times. Why is it called liquid death? Well, because it'll brutally murder your thirst. Plus, it's infinitely recyclable. Tallboy cans are helping to bring a death to plastic bottles. Did you know plastic's not even really recyclable anymore? It ends up just going to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle. Meanwhile, aluminum is recyclable and profitable for recycling facilities. You guys know how much I love Liquid Death. It's in everything I do. I take it to work. I take it to the ball club. I take it when I'm out with the kids. I got them right here on my my desk because I'm recording a podcast. I'm always with it. What's cool now is I'm seeing you guys on Twitter talk about how you're grabbing your cans and going to work. So send me those stories about what you're doing and how you're cracking open a tall boy in odd situations because, hey, it's water. And not only is it water, it's the best water that you can go out there and buy. It's cold. You can drink it with whatever you're doing. So going out there, get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool by going to liquiddeath.com filmstudy. That's liquiddeath.com filmstudy.
2: And you know the Ravens were kind of built for it, but they weren't built for it like they are now. I mean, they had a they basically had a pocket quarterback who was uh, slinging the ball down the field and and checking it down as a second choice to uh, uh, to whatever running back was there. But they didn't have a great stable of running backs when he first got here. They, they basically had a had a great run scheme.
3: Yeah, and I think so. Marty was still the OC for 2018 yeah. to start 2018, and I get I, who I guess by no, no. title throughout. I
2: think, right. I think 2020, 20, you're right. 2019 was Roman's first year. 2018 was the last year for morning. Yeah. and they said there might be a, it might be a place for you to stay within this system. <laughs> and and I think they would say the same thing to Roman right now. If they, it, it, you know, he's not going to want it because he will have other offensive coordinator opportunities, I think, but, uh, or other more senior roles anywhere, wherever he goes. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh, to me, but, you know, the thing that I think, this is just my, just my opinion. Uh, obviously, there's a whole faction of people who are on the other side of this. I always struggled with this criticism of of his passing game, and 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 here's why: Well, his passing game is garbage. Right. You know, it just, that was that was like the extent of the argument. His passing mm-hmm. game is, is garbage. It's bad. The reason I always struggled with that is when you really study the designs and the concepts, he's running the same stuff the rest of the league is running. So I'm like, it's not that he's doing things uh that uh or or I should say not doing things that other, you know, effective passing games are doing. I think the real difference was the devil's in the details, right. One's about the players. Like you said, that's always going to be first, the talent Mm -hmm. that you have on the field. Number two, it's how you get to those things. It can be the same concept, but formationally using shifts, using motions, um, the, the, the deeper nuance of how you coach certain things, how you coach certain routes, right? Hey, we're going to run it this way. We're going to run to this landmark. Or if the defenders plan, with this kind of leverage, here's what we want you to do in terms of your reaction, or here's how you set that up to get to where you want to need to go. All the devil in the details of how you coach those nuances where you can say, okay, yeah, they're running the same passing concepts as the Chiefs or the Bills. But how come their guys are getting old, you know, getting open and we're seeing guys running into each other, you know, in the Rams passing game at times? Again, starts with the talent, but I do think um, you know, some of the devil in the details stuff was why I had an issue with it. So I said, look, if you just say it's garbage without really kind of digging into the the nuance behind it, then, you know, that's kind of tough for me. But if you if you want to go down to that in the weeds level and point to some of those things and you think some of those things were flawed or were not maybe as good as they as they could be. I think it's a fair argument, because, again, this guy's strength, you mentioned his background, O-line tight ends coach was the run game. I don't think anybody would argue that that was his strength. And so. You know, he's gonna spend more time on that. He's gonna be more comfortable with that. So I think it's totally fair if you want to criticize the devil in the detail stuff, but just high level to say, well, it's just trash. That that was kind of rough. It's me. it's
2: it's not that's not high level at all. That's yeah. that's you know, living among well, the yeah, grass. Not high in terms of intelligence, yeah. but
3: just like surface. Yeah. I should say surface, yeah. Not yeah. High, surface. Level.
2: Fifty thousand foot, whatever. Yeah. It's it's uh one of the things I think is about the Ravens um offense that would set it up for photo ops in particular, which is, Oh my God, Twitter lives on those. Um, it is, is that extended plays create situations where receivers get bunched. Okay. The other thing it does it is anytime you have rub routes or any kind of, I mean, the, the, the Steelers, they run their whole offense off these bunch routes. You know, that the, 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 chiefs did, uh, when they were when they were good, they you know slip Kelsey free. They they do all kinds of things to rub free a defender. But on on extended routes, you also get the same thing because the general rules of the scheme have you rolling to the side of the field where the quarterback is also rolling. Now Lamar tries to have other people do other things as well, which is which is good. You know, Mark Andrews is trying to run away from that generally speaking. Uh, but basically, you got a bunch of a bunch of players running the same way as the quarterback. You're going to get some people in the same area. That's what happens. And 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 so you have, you have a quarterback who extends plays naturally and that's going to happen. In fact, he does more than that because when he rolls out early, it creates the fire drill earlier in the play sometimes. But if you try to compare that to what Joe Burrow does in 2.55 seconds or what Brady does in 2.38 seconds or any of the other guys, Manning and when he was in his final noodle arm to years, I mean, those guys, you know, they had to get rid of the ball quickly. And, I think we're gonna see that 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 I think we're gonna see that weakness of a lot of other of those quarterbacks who get rid of the ball very quickly. Um Huntley last year, not not 22 as much as in 21, got rid of the ball super quick. They had to scheme it out of his hands because he really he really didn't understand pocket awareness. He didn't have any pocket awareness, maybe is the way. And they didn't also have to tackle that that was a That was a weakness, but anyway, my my point is anyway. Extended plays cause a lot of these Twitter photo ops for for um, uh, criticism of multiple receivers at the same spot.
3: Yeah, and it happens in every offense. That's the other Mm -hmm. (laughs) thing. It happens in every offense. We follow the Ravens, so of course we're going to see it more here. Mm -hmm. But it happens in every offense. If you were to go watch the All 22 for every offense around the league, you can get into an argument about does it happen more here versus there. That's fine, but it happens everywhere. And for the reason that you mentioned, and also when you have guys who have the freedom to sort of adjust their routes Mm -hmm. for by all accounts coming from not only offensive coaches, but from defensive players, primarily Chuck Clark, who said, Mark Andrews has the green light. He can literally do whatever he wants. (laughs) So, you know, when you have that, if you've got, two or three other guys running the route that's designed in the play. And then you have one guy who starts that way, but then sees an opening, sees an ability, you know, season opportunity to, uh, you know, find some open space or work off of a a, a DB or a, a safety, um, excuse me, a, a linebacker or a DB. Sometimes that's going to take him, you know, closer to other people than, you know, the design of the play would, would, would suggest, but that's all part. That's part of what makes him such a great player too. So mm-hmm. you don't want to take that away from him you know, you try to do it within a way where it's not going to create a tons of those, you know, kind of traffic jam situations, but you certainly don't want to coach that out of him. The guy has such a natural feel for getting open and creating space and finding space. You don't ever want to take that away from him by no. making him a robot and say, so you have to run it this way. If you never run it this way, you're not getting on the field. You can't uh, if, do that. If you
2: have to run it that way, then the defenders know where you're going. So, so you want him to have the freedom as long as you can maintain the hive mind with Jackson. That's been very well done. And, you know, it's, Boy, those two would really miss each other if they're not playing together. They would really miss each other. I mean, it's, it's not like Mark Andrews can't be a somewhat effective or, sorry, an effective tight end, a star tight end probably even, you know, playing with, with whatever other halfway decent quarterback the Ravens might have after Lamar, but uh, he won't be as good. Lamar and he and just the, the natural desire of Lamar to throw to him is a, is a very positive thing. Let's move on here. We got to k- kind of pick it up here a little yeah, bit. I'm sorry. Sorry, I sidetracked us. No no, no problem. And, and I love the rabbit holes with you. You know that we, I, we, on the running back show, you might appreciate listening to this, but but Jim Zipcode was on and we probably spent 20 minutes talking about uh, how OPS sucks for baseball. So <laughs> you know, but now the running back show wouldn't have been that long otherwise, but but it's really a long uh, rabbit okay. hole dive. We got all the anyway. whole
3: off season in front of us at this point.
2: <laughs> there you go. So we'll, we, we have to have something to look forward to. So Demarcus Robinson, interesting player, and in some ways not a totally dissimilar year to Marcus Robinson's year here with 2003 with the Ravens. Um, He broke out against Washington that last preseason game, played all 17 games. I believe he may have led the Ravens receivers in snaps, though it didn't actually verify that, but he did play all 17 weeks. I know he played a lot of snaps, so I think he probably did, but it's possible DuVernay had more. In any case, he was close. 6.1 yards per target. 23 of his 48 catches were first downs. That is horrible. That's just utterly horrible for a wide receiver. And he had only two games the entire season, two games in a 17-game season where he was active the whole time, where he had any number of catches for over 8.67 yards per target. Hmm. That is actually very difficult to do. Like one catch 10 yards, two catches 17, No, that wouldn't do it, two catches 19 yards. You know, he didn't he didn't have one of those games anywhere along the line, but he's you're constantly picking up these short of the sticks passes, obviously big first and second down target to, to try and set up the team for third and you know keep the team on schedule with down and distance, more than a a really, you know, go out and get the first down uh receiver. Who was the it was the Kelly Washington? That's who I'm mm. thinking of. <laughs> first down guy.
3: Yeah. I mean, it was interesting to me when they picked him up. Because we'd heard throughout the offseason about the plays that James Prochet was making, the strides mm-hmm. that Tylen Wallace was making, <laughs> and then they break this guy up off the street and he comes in and basically becomes the third wide receiver when Bateman and, and DuVernay were both healthy and then ultimately essentially becomes the, the, the primary wide receiver at various right. points throughout the season. And you mentioned all the numbers. Uh, and, and why you, you probably don't want a guy like that to be your primary wide receiver. Um, I think there's a role for him in in the offense on on this team. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure what that role is. Uh, <laughs> but he was a guy who provided, you know, some moments of of excitement, you know, obviously in that last Bengals game, you know, the, the double move touchdown against Eli Apple I guess say what you will or it might even be against the guy who came in for Eli Apple I don't remember at that point uh, I know Apple got hurt in that game um but you know provided some moments you know had some nice plays in that Tampa Bay game um carries the ball like a loaf of bread which always scares me um but seemed like a guy who you know was looking for an opportunity. Obviously he had been with the Chiefs for a while and, and, you know, was going to always have a tough time with uh, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and some of the other guys in that offense. But looking for an opportunity, basically found an opportunity on this team through, you know, injury. Uh, Probably would have liked to play with Lamar more than he did. Um, But I don't know. It was just, it was a very weird thing for me because it's like, you got these guys that have been here in your program for years. Let alone all camp. And then this guy comes in and he just overtakes them. You
2: watched the Washington preseason game, right? The last preseason game of the year. And he didn't even play that much. But he burned two grocery baggers, we'll call them, one sluggo, one out and go. And uh they're about the two greatest moves you'll ever see made at the top of the route. Or at least they look that way to the guy opposite them <laughs> at that time. And, and admittedly, you know, we we don't know exactly what it is, but they were great moves. I mean, you can you can you see how he beat those th- those dbs even though that you know they played plenty of college football you know they were they were at a point where they were you know should have been better than they were then but I, right then i said this guy's obviously got a got a part of the ravens passing game and and you know we had just not ever really seen that kind of wiggle out of james brochet he's he's you know has some ability he can slant he's but he's a he's a short short receiver guy what i what i really liked about robinson was that these were two longer passes that he caught and I expected to see more of him as a vertical threat this year. We really didn't get that. So my my question for you is anything about the vertical threat you have to say? And, and is there any chance the Ravens bring it back as a UFA?
3: That's tough. Uh, so much with their cap situation, obviously depends on what happens with Lamar. Mm-hmm. Um, not that uh, De- Demarcus Robinson is going to command a huge contract. I, d- I don't believe. So I think that they could probably do it. Um I think that there is some vertical stuff there for him. I know there was this one play, this one concept they used to run with him. I swear I saw it in four or five games, maybe more, down in the red zone. Um, people call it a lot of different things. But basically what happens is you have um, two wide receivers from, one, from the same side of the ball. It could be either left or right. doesn't matter. They're basically running vertical routes. Maybe it's a post, maybe it's a straight vertical, but they're essentially clear outs. He sneaks from the opposite side of the field underneath them, right, almost like a crossing route that kind of climbs to maybe 18, 22 yards, so it's more like Mm -hmm. an over, and then he kind of opens up on the opposite side of the field now that they've bent their routes in and cleared out. They must have ran that thing four or five times uh, in different red zone earlier in the season. This was with Lamar, and it's never threw in ball. (laughs) <laughs> now I'm going to say that he was open every single time. There was probably at least two of those where it looked like there was an opportunity to throw in the ball. Some of it was rush, you know, Lamar got, you know, there's pressure and he wasn't able to, to maybe get to that. Cause again, it's a longer developing kind of thing. Um, but I think that they saw him as a guy who they could use on some of those vertical concepts and just, you know, for, for a variety of reasons weren't able to connect on probably as many as they wanted to. But if he's your third, fourth wide receiver, yeah, I don't think that that's, you know, a terrible thing.
2: Vetman at this point.
3: I mean if he'll take it. <laughs> it's probably what the offer would be from them. Right. Um I don't know if he feels like he could maybe, you know, do a little bit better somewhere else or not, but uh I can see that.
2: I have to, I'd have to see what he made this last year, but I don't think it was a whole lot. I don't think he, you know, made 5 million dollars or anything. I think it might have been a vet men, uh had to be know. close to it. It was late, right? So they didn't have a lot of cap room to work with at that point anyway. So yeah, it was he, he had a vet man deal. So he's he's gonna be this this next year, he'll he'll be a vet man again, attempting to prove himself, attempting to get through. But there's nothing about this season that says sign me. I mean no. statistically, it's not a good season.
3: Now, and I guess I should add, coming out of the presser we saw not too long ago, they talked about rebuilding the wide receiver room. So maybe they don't want those guys back. <laughs> you know, I don't know.
2: Yeah, I I I think. There are definitely some guys that they're going to be, they're going to have to start parting ways with. For, for starters, I mean, Prochet's a fourth year player. is a fourth year player. Actually, I, that's not right. Prochet's a third year player, isn't he? Yeah. He'll be entering his third year. So, guy. yeah. Uh, wait a minute. If he's 2020, then 23 will be his fourth year. So I, I'm looking for, I know Duvernay will be entering year four. I think Prochet's actually entering year three, but I could be wrong. Uh, And Wallace is entering year three. If you don't look it up, that's, that's great. I'd really appreciate that. A couple of the guys I want. 2020
3: for Prochet, 2020 draft.
2: Okay. So, so this will be his fourth year. So he and Mm -hmm. DuVernay are, are, are entering the fourth year. You got to rebuild anyway. Those guys, (laughs) Duvernay's not on the bubble entering camp because of who he is. He has real value, but Prochet, I mean, he might not make the team. There's no, there's I don't think there's any reason to believe that, that, you know, he's a certainty, his option value is gone. So the Ravens don't have any, you know, oh, well, even if he doesn't quite make it this year, he'll be good in 2024 kind of thing. Well, he won't be theirs in 2024. He'll, he'll be a, a UFA. Uh, you know, and that's the problem with most of the guys. Robinson, d is another one. You know, it was real nice to see Deshaun Jackson catch that bomb against Jacksonville. That was the 62-yard throw. Um, he ended up averaging 9.0 yards per target. It was all on the back of basically that one play because he – didn't have a whole lot of targets the whole season. I want to say he may have to maybe 17, something like that. So it was a, a low number. So that 62 over 17 influencing your yards per target is going to be substantial in terms of that. I thought it was interesting when he was cut, the language used yeah. was very different from Boyle. Boyle, yeah, we got big hopes he's going to rejoin us on the practice squad. And Djax, he's a real nice guy. And uh, so that's where we're going with that. <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. It, was, well, it took longer than
3: that but yeah yeah and the language he used himself on his ig story where i'm tired of the bs <laughs> oh really awesome. no i didn't hear that oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. he was uh apparently not real happy about uh the way that things were done there at the end and so yeah i would not see him uh returning <laughs> next year um but you know for a guy who was what 35 36 i forget mm-hmm. where he was at in age um, uh, a guy whose game had always been predicated on speed and like elite speed. Um, obviously he wasn't that anymore, but he was still plenty fast mm-hmm. and you know, still had um some opportunities where he got vertical, where he got behind the defense, um, had a couple couple plays where guys just backed off of him, right? They they get out of their backpedal and turn and run because they're like as 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 Djax uh said himself, you know, the uh the, the GTFB, uh, <laughs> you got to get the you know what back uh, when he's coming at you full speed and he's able to kind of snap that off and catch some some comebacks and some curls. Yeah, a couple of those, not a ton of them. Um, so I think that there was, you know, some stuff there and probably a little bit more um, meat on that bone, so to speak, in terms of getting him the ball in some other situations. But just didn't happen that way. And it, it sounds like the the way they parted ways at the end was, was you know, not on the best of uh, of terms, at least from his perspective. So right. I I would uh, not expect him to be part of their plans in the future.
2: Right, and that that uh, that obviously reduces the veteran wide receiver pool by one that they'll have to draw from. And Andy uh, Isabella, a very fast man in college, obviously just brought in really to be a jet motion guy. They really missed Duvernay that much in the jet motion game when when he was out. He had one run for one yard, but he had zero targets and you know he was playing about three snaps a game it seemed like pretty much like clockwork uh, and and only to 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 threaten that jet motion um unrestricted free agent uh he'll he'll i think he's completed year four completed year five wherever he is right now the ravens don't uh have any claim on his future so if if you're if if you're making a choice between him and another guy who's just coming out of school. Maybe even doesn't make somebody else's team as one of their top five or six wide receivers, however many they're keeping. It's a great place to start is, you know, figure your wide receiver uh, depth out of that group. They've done a real good job over the years, you know, finding the running backs off that scrap heap.
3: Yeah, he reminded me, particularly the way that they used him, he reminded me of what Mike Tomlin used to say about Ray-Ray uh, McLeod. He called him the jet sweeper. <laughs> and so I thought about Isabella the same way. He he was the jet, steeper, uh, the jet sweeper uh, in this offense. Now, again, new offensive coordinator, if they were to bring him back in some shape, form, or fashion, which I don't feel real, real strongly that they would do that, uh, could there be some opportunity in a different offense OC says, Hey, I've got a, I've got a vision for a role for this guy. Who knows right now? That's pretty speculative. So uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a lot. I know you're, you're a betting man. I I wouldn't put a a lot of stock in that happening. <laughs>
2: right. I would agree. A low probability. Uh, Tylen Wallace uh, on and off uh, both the IR and the active list. Some of it with injuries. I think maybe he, he, he might've had a one healthy scratch or maybe none. I, I, I really don't know what's behind the scenes of all of this, but it's obviously disappointing that in year two, he gets only 77 offensive snaps in nine games, still a key special teams player, still a guy the Ravens won in there in their core, but he's now entering year three, you know, kind of get these wide receivers on the field earlier.
3: Yeah. He's a guy that I really had high hopes from just because of his game in Oklahoma state, obviously he had that injury where he missed basically a season. And then, came back and wasn't quite the dominant guy he was before i think his sophomore year was like when he was might even been his freshman year i think it was sophomore just absolutely dominant uh <laughs> for a guy who's not you know terribly big He's listed as six foot one ninety so you know kind of not terrible size for wide receiver but not like you know a six two six three type guy but was a big time you know catch point guy high point guy contested catch guy and Lost some of that when he came back from that knee injury at Oklahoma State. Was still pretty good, but didn't put up nearly the numbers he put up pre-injury. But I thought he had a chance to maybe kind of reestablish some of that in the NFL. And like you said, just had not had the opportunities to get on the field. Very good special teamer, very good gunner. Um, In the limited opportunities he's had, we've seen some flashes of playmaking. You know, Whether it was last year in that second Bengals game, I think we saw it as much this year. but, you know you see a play here or there and you're like, okay, that looks like that could be something and then you don't see the guy in the game or or you see him maybe this one was debatable so I, I'm always very careful about this but uh, I think it, I think it was in that first Bengals game again where it looked like he might have stopped running on a route, didn't quite run at full speed all the way mm-hmm. to an end looked like it was going to be a touchdown where he had gotten behind the defense and Lamar was able to kind of seem late, but it ended up being an overthrow, but it looked like it was an overthrow where it was like a stop start or slow down restart Mm -hmm. kind of situation (laughs) and so you know that's never going to sit well with coaches if they're like hey man you quit on that play when you know look you don't get a lot of run to begin with so when you get your opportunities we need to see balls to the wall 100% effort all the time so that probably doesn't sit, which really didn't mesh with me because you look at how he plays on special teams and you see that kind of effort Mm -hmm. but then on that one route you're like man did he did he just kind of shut it down I don't know I don't want to say that because I don't know for certain just kind of what it looked like to my untrained eye, but I'm still hopeful, man. Hopefully he can kind of work through this hamstring injury. I think that's what they listed him with towards the end of the season and, um, you know, get some opportunities, but it's, it's, I don't know. I've been really disappointed. (laughs) You know what I mean? With some of these guys, I just, I had high hopes for a lot of these young guys and it just never, even going back to miles Boykin, I mean, it just never panned out, you know?
2: Oh, and Boykin at least gave the Ravens something as a yeah. as a pass blocker. If you if you look at the guys the the year before, the New Mexico guy, tall six three six four, 6'4". Oh, arms. Name. I
3: can picture him. I know exactly. Yeah, what you're
2: talking you took the and and Jordan Lasley. Throw it into the pond, guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I mean yeah. those were two wasted picks. And in, in an unbelievably, that, I think that was the eighteen draft too, right? Where they had no, no. Well, it might have been the seventeen draft because I don't think the eighteen draft had a couple of misses like that. But I could be wrong. And we have to we have to look at that because that's something that just if those two <laughs> guys are in the middle of that 18 draft, then I'm I'm really wrong. I think it must be the 17 draft. It was the 18 draft. Jaleel oh, yeah. Scott and Jordan Lasley, Yeah. And everybody else is still playing in the NFL, which, by the way, in its own right is remarkable that you have Hayden Hurst just caught a yeah. touchdown in the, in the divisional round. Lamar Jackson, Orlando Brown. Mark Andrews, Anthony Averett. Don't know where where did Anthony Averett go this year? He's the Raiders, I thought. Raiders, okay. Kenny Kenny Young still playing. Deshaun Elliott still playing. Yeah. Greg Sonat apparently still playing. Bradley Bozeman had a little hard time getting on the field this year. And Zach Sealer, who's now a star from Miami. Yeah. yeah and was the first of that 2018 draft class to get his uh to get his second contract signed, incredibly.
3: Yeah, he was not the guy that I would have expected nope. that to happen to back then. <laughs> but when you watch him, like you said, with Miami, he's turned into a yeah. really, really good defensive lineman.
2: Yeah, he's a very good player. And uh, and to have those two losers, frankly, is is mm-hmm. I, I I don't want to use that word too often, but there's two loser wide receivers in the middle of the draft like that. Boy, they really stand out. Uh, and yeah. is there anything to it that the Ravens just maybe don't have good judgment at wide receiver? Is, is the problem really in scouting? That they need to bring in two new guys who are receiver specialists to be not area scouts or one guy, maybe to be an oversight scout of some sort for wide receivers.
3: I mean, it really feels like they've been snake bit at that position, and so I would be open to all possibilities, including that one at this point. I mean, you have to. I think you have to look at it like, hey, man, look what what else can we do, right? right. We've really we've thrown volume. At this position, sometimes in the draft, we've bring, we've brought in coaches who really kind of specialize in working with this position. What else can we do other than, you know, really like tear it down to the studs, right? Our yeah. entire process on how we go about this and try to rebuild it from the ground up.
2: Yeah, uh, That's that's a great way to say it. I mean, it's, it's really self scouting for the scouting department here. It's like wh- how we've got to scout ourselves and how we do our scouting. What are we doing wrong, kind of thing. And and yeah, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing Bishotti is absolutely marvelous at. I'm surprised if that has not that exact topic has not come up at some of these Jupiter meetings that go on. I mean, DaCosta start talks about taking big swings at wide receiver, but there's other teams who can get it done in the middle rounds. The Steelers, you know, very famously. Yeah. Have been able to get, you know, fine talent in the middle round so the Ravens could do it at on offensive line. Why can't the Ravens do it at wide receiver? They've got a lot of mid round swings.
3: Yeah, I mean, I thought maybe we were gonna see the turning point the last couple of years with some of these guys. I certainly thought mm-hmm. Duvernay could be a turning Proche. point kind of guy, Prochet, even Tylen Wallace, I thought could be a turning point kind of guy. Now, again, you're gonna have a faction who say, Yeah, but Greg Roman, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. They're gonna point to that with those guys. Well, The beautiful thing about that is now we're going to get to see. Mm -hmm. We're going to get to see if it was truly, yeah, but Greg Roman. Um, I think we talked about this on the Deep Cover podcast. One way or the other, right? it's going to be an indictment on something. It's either an indictment on Greg Roman. It's an indictment on the players. It's an indictment on the person who picked the players or the people who picked the players. It's an indictment on your coaches. One way or the other, it's going to be an indictment on somebody.
2: Let me give you the ultimate dark horse point of view here. because. I, I am a huge Lamar Jackson fan. I think he he adds more to the offense. It could be the quarterback. <laughs> and and I'll, t- I'll tell you why it could be the quarterback. We saw early in the year, we're still ha- getting, having trouble getting the plays in so that the offense get the line of scrimmage and not avoid Lamar either putting the ball or slamming it down in frustration at the, at the call not being in on time. I'm using air quotes for those of you who can't see me, which is everybody who's listening to a podcast. I, I think that... Since Huntley was able to get the team to the line of scrimmage more quickly, one of two things had to be happening. They had to be simplifying the the play groupings for Huntley just to get him there, give him fewer total plays, have him easier to explain, just do formations, have him do some things at the line of scrimmage. Could be multiple ways. They did some things for Lamar early on in in his career. But Lamar may have trouble relaying somebody else's call in the huddle. And I know he goes to the to the to the armband a fair amount to do it, but some of it all also may be accent related. And and I'm not trying to pick on anybody here, but if you talk to I, I worked in a in a multinational company. We worked with went to management training with a bunch of European people. And I said, English people, you know, people who speak English tend to talk quickly. Whose English is the hardest for you to understand? And we had almost a huge broad variety of nationalities represented. Their first thing is. The Chinese, if they're talking English, I just can't understand them at all. And this is people from Hungary, the Netherlands, those kind of countries, th- they're answering the question this way. Number second hardest, people from the American South. I, it seems incredible that would be the case, but you know a, a, a drawl can be harder to understand. I think it's probably true that it can be harder to understand because you hear it sometimes from Gruden when he's talking when he's really berating a quarterback. Uh, that it can be hard in in the in the locker room for us. Sorry, not the locker room in the huddle when it's very loud to hear some of that play called on, especially when it's done quickly by someone who naturally maybe talks slowly. I I just, I don't know how to do it, but I just say that if that is, if if the plays are getting in slower because of Lamar and Lamar's late to the line of scrimmage, then that may also limit what Lamar can do at the line of scrimmage to change the play call and make it something that is more receiver friendly to check into a pass from a run when he sees the opportunity. Anyway, it's, it's. I know it's a dark horse thing, but just seeing the difference between Huntley and Lamar this year, it has me a little concerned.
3: I think there's something related to that with the play calls. I'd lean towards maybe it being a little bit more about Lamar having at least two plays to choose from, and maybe they took that away from Huntley and just said, "Hey, we're only going to give you one. Oh, and we're going to maybe give you a check, and the check might it might be like a run pass check." Mm-hmm. Or it might just be a directional check. Like I think you started to see towards the end of the season him do a, this a lot, just yeah. kind of tapping those shoulders like a time like a basketball timeout kind of thing. Yeah, I think that was a directional thing. I think they were changing okay. the direction of the play. Now we know we don't know about all of the games, but we know one game for sure because Greg Roman said it after that Dolphins game, we put more on Lamar's plate from an at-the-line scrimmage perspective than anything since he'd been here, mm-hmm. right? And that included having multiple plays. So I think. And you could kind of see that you can kind of tell if you if you really study and you really pay attention to it when he's probably got two plays and it's up to him to decide, are we gonna run the one that we've got or are we gonna kill it? We're gonna can it and go with the other one. I think they gave him more of that this year now, I don't know how that relates to getting the actual call right now, once you're at the line of scrimmage, you've got those two plays and you're looking over the defense and you're trying to decide do we want to run the original play or do we want to can it and go to the next play? That's a separate thing. But in terms of actually getting the call to him, what the delay was with that part of the process, you're right, I don't know about that part. But in terms of him at the line of scrimmage, I think this year there was probably more of him having two plays and him having more responsibility at the line of scrimmage to determine what to do with that. Mm-hmm. And certainly I don't think you want to put that on Huntley's plate as much as you would put it on That's the I'm not going to say he didn't do it at all. Yeah, Because, I mean, look, Huntley... I just don't know if you can play offense in the modern NFL, if you don't give the quarterback some ability to do that. So right. I think Huntley probably had some of that too, but maybe not as much as, I mean, you, uh, as Lamar had.
2: You're not playing with all the information. If your motion can't tell you anything about the defense and you can't react to that. I mean, that's, it's one element. I mean, you can see how they're lined up. I'm just, where are they? Are there eight yeah. guys on the line of scrimmage and you don't have a checkpoint? You know, or you have to run that play, you know, so it's, it, you know, a lot of that, you know, obviously it doesn't really make sense, but, uh, uh, but there are other elements that, by the way, in Roman's response that I really didn't like. Is some of the worst Greg Roman stuff I've ever heard was him him backfilling about how Lamar's running the clock to zero so frequently was actually killing off two minutes of game time. And that was helping the Ravens. Well, first of all, it it, it helped them in some games you know to, to close it out maybe uh, you know, they they didn't know at the time that it was helping them because sometimes it's in the first half sometimes it's in the second half you know they don't know right but anyway
3: i'd heard him i'd heard him say that before there was an old 49ers article because apparently that was an issue back then at times too and he he was quoted as saying something very similar back then he's like hey people think that you know it's we're not able to get the play in time sometimes it's intentional sometimes there's a reason why we're going that late into the play clock. And he said sometimes, even when we get to the line of scrimmage with more time, say maybe we've got you know, 14, 15 sec- seconds, but then we, we run that down with motions or shifts or whatever else we're doing, that's intentional too. So, in his mind, he either believes that or that's his go to excuse because uh, <laughs> he's, he's used it at multiple stops.
2: So, I'm okay with it if it's here's what we are trying to do on that play and on this play and on this play. I'm not okay with it in the Pee Wee Herman runs into the curb, flies over the handlebars, hits himself on the lawn and says, I meant to do that. Yeah, that's, that's where I'm not okay with it. So it's, it's uh, uh, I, 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 I tell you, as a manager, I, I could not stand backfilling from people, could not stand it. Yeah, I, f- I screwed up, but look, it worked out.
3: <laughs> look, it worked out for us. Stop it! <laughs> it's just <laughs> well, it's come to a stop here. <laughs> at least, at least with him as the play caller. Hopefully, you don't get somebody else who does the same thing. But yeah, we won't, we won't have that uh, from him anymore.
2: Yeah, there you go. All right, let's move on. Uh, uh, we didn't talk about Sammy Watkins. We will very briefly hear five targets over twenty three over three games. Sorry, one hundred nineteen yards. Big fumble in there that, that yeah. you know cost him any chance to come back in the last Cincinnati game or week eighteen. Um, But twenty-three point eight yards per target is hard to beat. It's probably a record for for uh, maybe any number of targets, but certainly for five targets or more. I guarantee you, it's the record in Ravens history. Um, I'm going to even check and see if it might be an NFL record at five or more targets. Um, So now nine point five yards per target over two seasons with the Ravens. To me, if you're looking at him, I think he might be the most likely to come back to the Ravens and the most reasonable as a cheap ufa guy on a one-year deal again
3: yeah a veteran guy who's not on the deshaun jackson end of the age spectrum (laughs) but you know obviously there's the injury concern with sammy Mm -hmm. uh didn't show up as much this year because they got him later in the season um but the one thing you can say about him you know maybe there's some availability issues because of the injury but he does make plays I mean, whether you think back to last year or this year, you think about the Steelers game where he got the touchdown, the one where they went for two uh, for the win, didn't get it. You think about the Detroit game, the big catch to set up the long, mm-hmm. you know, field goal by Tucker. This year, you mentioned some of the the plays he made in the Cincinnati game. He does make plays. Uh, that's the one thing that you can say about him. Now, you're like I said, you know, coaches have said this forever: the best ability is availability that's going to be a challenge would say me throughout the course of an entire season. Uh, but that's just part of the deal uh, with him. I think, you know, that going in and, you know, if you decide to bring him back, you're sort of accepting that, um, you know, that that's going to be part of the deal with him.
2: Just as well. So I want to go real quickly through the 2023 plans. And I want to do this in a probabilistic manner, if you're okay with that. Sure. And you could just say high probability, low probability, if you don't want to do it that way, but uh, Bateman and Duvernay's injury returns, Here's what I'm looking for. You give me an over-under on total games played by those two players in 2023 of the of the the 70s. You got 34 possible games. I've got I've got my number written down right here. And I will show it to you if you want to, but you can also trust me.
3: Okay. Now I'll go first. So are we doing total? Like you said, out of 34? Like I'm grouping both guys. Okay. I'm gonna group both guys together. Um I'm probably going to say 28.
2: Okay. You, you're way over me. I am at 20.
3: Okay. You, well, so, you know me. I'm an optimistic kind of guy. You
2: are an optimistic <laughs> guy. You are a glasses <laughs> half full guy, my friend. So I like talking to you. Uh, okay. Prochet and Wallace. I want in each case a percentage chance that they're back. Let's go with Prochet first. Uh, Percent chance he makes the team on the opening roster. Uh, and I'm writing down my number right now.
3: Mm, 2023. Uh, of 23. Roster. I'm going to say. Yep, I'm ready. I'm going
2: to say 20%. Exactly the same. Okay, 20 oh, also. I, I was vacillating between 15 and 20. So I wasn't. I wanted to go end. a
3: little bit lower. I was thinking 10, but I'm like, that's super low. Probably. Need to go <laughs> I'm, the
2: not, I'm a glasses hat full guy. I got it. Okay. <laughs> Tyler, Tyler Wallace, same thing. So he's entering year three only. Probably not a, a high probability of being cut, so ch- chance of being on the roster on opening day. Uh, yeah, I okay. got. It.
3: I I mean, this is going to be high. Probably, I I want to go in the seventy to eighty percent range somewhere in there.
2: Okay, so I said eighty, and I think okay. the Ravens haven't got rid of too many core special teamers going into that year, and I think. He makes the. It's not hundred percent because they, they they but they would have to have enough competition to kind of push him out, and that's where I think they might come up short. Is I, I'm not sure they're going to have five other guys they really want, such that he's clearly not a, a non-roster guy.
3: Yeah, if they were changing not just OC but head coach, then I might say, all right, maybe the special teams thing's not going to help him as much. But with John Harbaugh as head coach, there's always going to be a role for guys who play well on special teams.
2: Okay, so let's go. The next one is Robinson chance to be re-signed on a one-year deal.
3: Ooh, we're talking about. Okay, wait,
2: minimum. I need, I need, I need to get mine. Yeah, it would be a vet minimum. Uh, and okay, I got mine.
3: I'm gonna go thirty-five percent.
2: Yeah, you know, I went too low. I think there, I said twenty-five, but I, I think I like your number better.
3: Mm-hmm. I okay, no, it's not. I it's, mean, like you said, based so on different. what? You, yeah, and <laughs> based on what you said, it's not like there's real convincing argument to do it.
2: <laughs> okay. And I might've just tipped my hand in the last thing, but Sammy Watkins percentage chance he's back. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think you may have, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say 5%.
2: Okay. I went with the same 5%. I I, I don't think it's absolutely zero, no. you know, backing off. It is maybe something, And you know, it, it, but this is again, week one roster and not who they go to during the year. Cause they, they'll, They'll make a lot broader set of phone calls after they get turned down a few times or or, lost a few players. All right, I think that covers it. Chance they use a number one draft pick on a wide receiver. Let's do that one. Um, All right, hold on. Uh,
4: Let me think about that.
2: Yeah, I got my number. Not an even 5% on this one, I will tell you. Okay.
3: I'm going to go, this is going to be low for me, but I've Mm -hmm. I've been biased because I've been watching nothing but cornerbacks for like two months. Uh, I'm going to go 30%.
2: Okay. I said 38%. I think they need it, but I think cornerback is the other clearly competing need. And if they were to trade Lamar that also changes the picture and they would have to think about drafting a quarterback right away. So that number might even be too high, but, uh, but anyway, uh, fun exercise. I always appreciate doing that kind of thing. It's also a lot faster to get our thoughts across when we talk about a player like that, as opposed yeah. to, you know, have to, have to come up with the words behind you that.
3: But You know, anything that you involve numbers with, for me, I'm going to be a lot briefer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, I mean, hopefully, hopefully I will be too. All right. Michael, always a pleasure to talk football with you. Absolutely love it. Uh, wish we could do more of this during the year. Uh, and I know you have your show and, and, uh, uh you know a limit but you're, you're uh a lot of people would love to hear you i'm sure more uh during the year if you do go over and listen to Michael's pods and they are again deep cover
3: and yep. the fire zone show but listen hey maybe i can get back for some episodes we did what i think only did one this past season one of the mm-hmm. game review episodes but maybe maybe i can get you know a couple more uh we can maybe squeeze some of that in so uh i'm going to i'm going to make that a a a goal an aspirational goal for me for 2023 to try to do more of those than I did in 2022. It shouldn't be hard. I did one. So it should be easy for me to shoot for more than two. I did two. I Uh-oh. think so. Okay. I'm, I'm
2: looking back at the thing here. You did um week five, Cincinnati, you did the offense. I don't know if you remember talking about that with me and then, and then the, you did the defense after the Tampa Bay game.
3: Oh, look at that. All right. So I'll shoot for three or more <laughs> for 2023. But yeah, I, I would like to do some more.
2: I, I'll, I'll say this right out here. I, I love a lot of the guests we have regularly on the show, but I would have you on more than anybody else, or at least as much as anybody else that's, that's in the entire group. If you could be on four times, five times this season, no problem. You're on as many times as you want, Michael, because I love talking. I
3: appreciate to people that. People would get tired of hearing me, but I appreciate that. It's very nice of you to say. It,
2: it, they couldn't get... As tired hearing you as they will hearing me. because <laughs> you know, I'm on. I'm on thirty four shows.
3: <laughs> it's your show. They're tuning in for you.
2: I, I don't think that's true necessarily, but we really appreciate you, Michael. at uh, uh, abakari on Twitter, please give him a follow. I, not a lot of people follow Michael in a relative sense. it's ridiculous. You know, get a get a follow in on Michael. Oh, I really cut program.
3: back on my Twitter activity too. I'd say the last two to three years, I dialed it way way back. So, uh, I a mental get it. health break from it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just I think it took me a while to to really understand what I wanted from my experience on Twitter. I think Twitter was it was a little bit of the tail wagging the dog for me. I mean, I've been on since two thousand nine, so I think it was a little bit of the tail wagging the dog. And it probably took longer than it should have for me to realize like, no, you you really control what you want out of this. And so I feel like it's in a pretty I feel like it's it's in a pretty good place now. And, you know, better than me, there is an absolute explosion of Ravens football uh, content on Twitter yes. now compared to those early days. So I also kind of felt like it was um, probably appropriate for me to kind of take a little bit more of a backseat and then try to do kind of more stuff behind the scenes with some of the the younger, um, you know, up and coming folks and just, you know, try to help out where I can behind the scenes and kind of let that let that stage, you know, sort of let new let new players come come to the stage. Right. And uh, and have their opportunity. So it was believe it or not. I mean, that sounds like (laughs) probably sounds like it was really uh, constructed and uh, preconceived. But I really did think about it that way. I really was like, you know what, this is this is kind of a young person's game. Um, maybe I'll sit back and and just kind of watch and learn and and listen to other people and see what I can gain from them.
2: Completely appreciate that point of view. Uh, whether actuarial interns that I always love managing because they're so you know they have all this energy and and stuff. Same thing goes for young analysts and and working with them is exciting. Uh, and anybody who really is passionate for it and really just wants to give it a try to be on podcasts or whatever, I'm cool with. And that's you know, hopefully a lot of the format of this show. Other folks out there, by the way, if you would like to be on a film study podcast hit me up. I'm doing the new show is called that one play. That'll be a new series. This off season. We'll do a number per per week since we have got 20 scheduled now already. Um, Pick one play in Ravens history. We'll talk about it for about 15 minutes. You can come from whatever angle you want, but we're really looking to create a shorter content here. So it it could be this play changed Ravens history. If it were not for this play, what would have happened? Boy, this player got injured or, or, I went to my first game, and this is what made me buy a jersey for, um, you know, Anthony Levine or whoever it was. You know, I, I this this was what made football special for me. And 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 was we had a Ravens photographer assistant wants to be on and talk nice. about you know his view from the sideline at, at of some of the great plays in Ravens history, which is a great cool perspective. But you be you, bring whatever perspective you like. All I want is passion. Uh, if you want to handle some history, that's great. Otherwise, I'll be sure to handle the history for you and And that's great, too, if you if you're comfortable with it. And I just want to talk about that play with you for about fifteen minutes. That's all. And we'll put that out there. It'll be short old content. and we'll actually get a read on whether people are are kind of tired of longer episodes and would like s- some choice anyway. And uh, you know the, the thing I've been learning, Michael, is I'm looking at the at the Ukraine videos hmm. trick tri- you know critically important topic in our world. it 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 indirectly affects us in so many ways and 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 yet, you know, the the average American, you know, doesn't really care about it that much. Unfortunately, I'd say the average American cares about it maybe even less than the average Russian does, which is almost not at all. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is what's really bothersome about the entire thing. But here's the problem. I'm part of the problem. I go up to see the Ukraine videos I have available on YouTube, and there's a variety of them, some content producers I'm not interested in. But other ones, I choose if it's three minutes to listen to that instead of another one that might be 22 minutes, and they're really yeah. trying to, to go deep into it deeper. So anyway. I, I hear you out there. I'm, I'm going to try for some shorter content. Hey,
3: always Please good wait. to have different price points, so to yes. speak, right? For there people.
2: <laughs> the price of time. There you go. Yeah. Absolutely. Michael, thanks again for coming on.
3: Hey, thanks for having me. It's a blast all the time. Uh, I, I get an opportunity to be on with you. I look forward to the next time. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.